Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, I don't think St. Paul had country legend uh, Waylon Jennings in mind when he wrote his epistles, uh, but I, I hear overtones of Lukenbach, Texas in this epistle. Maybe it's time we get back to the basics of love. Maybe it's time we get back to the basics of religion. Maybe it's time we get back to the basics of Christianity, most, most chiefly. Things got complicated in this day for Paul uh, in, in Corinth. You know, Paul was competing against these folks who put themselves up as super apostles. That's a really fancy title um, that they kind of claim for themselves. But they were claiming to be this, and they had all these works of power and these great visions and all these things that they could put on their resume, essentially. And Paul kind of gently, uh, but he does gently um, make fun of, of one of these accounts. Um, he's not taking it too seriously. There's a, there's a touch of sarcasm. And he's tiptoeing gently because people love, in Corinth, these super apostles, so he doesn't want to completely cut them off. But he's basically saying this, this account of this guy going to the third heaven, whether he's in the body or in the spirit, God only knows. It's his gentle little way of saying it doesn't really matter, and it probably may or may not even be true. Who knows? The point is, uh, in Corinth and in the Greek culture, the Mediterranean world at large, uh, Gnosticism, which it's sometimes called, you can't really pin that down, but uh, this worldview that you have to get away from the earth. You have to get away from uh, this physical, you know, bodily existence that we live in. And, you know, it's still popular in our day. You can walk out on Park Avenue, go down 21st Street. There's meditation centers, which I'm not decrying. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's some good things about these places. But the overwhelming view is we've got to remove ourselves from reality. We've got to ascend to a higher plane, whatever that is, whether it be through meditation or CrossFit or whatever you're into or I'm into, uh, and get away from it. And I'm sure there's some good, like, psychological effects every once in a while of doing that sort of thing. But by and large, like the problem to me and what Paul is highlighting here is that's temporary. Eventually you come back and you're back in that nine to five, you're back um, in the pew or wherever you are today um, dealing with those same problems that you had before you went to CrossFit or SoulCycle or what have you. And Jim and I were, were joking this week about, you know, centering prayer and all these, these fads that come and go in the church. And the point is, it's people trying to get away from how God has actually revealed himself. And so that's the first thing I want to talk about today. In classic uh, Calvary St. George's, I'm going to have three points. Um, the first is, what is the nature of God's revelation? How does he actually give himself and uh, meet us? How does he do it? Secondly, that's going to draw attention to our weakness and frailty. So God reveals himself, and naturally, implicitly, we, we think of our own weakness, which St. Paul talks about in our epistle. And then thirdly, kind of flowing out of that, and this is where it'll hit home for you and me, I hope, is uh, our lack of control in the midst of all that. So how does God reveal God's self, God himself? Sorry, oh my goodness. I've had general convention on my mind all week, which is terrible, and this, all this, I don't even want to get into it, uh, gender stuff, but uh, forgive me. How does God reveal himself? Well, he does it in this down-to-earth way. First of all, he's the God who speaks. He's not mute. He's not silent. He's not abstract. He's the God who speaks. And as the letter of Hebrews tells us, most chiefly, he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, this down-to-earth, fleshly uh, way of speaking, incarnation. And looking back on our gospel today, we see that Jesus comes from this place called Nazareth. So the God who came and got his hands dirty, got messy with us, he came from a place called Nazareth. And if there's anything we know about Nazareth, it's, it's not a popular place on the map, and it's really a, somewhat of a nefarious place. And the fact that Jesus is from there kind of draws uh, 
draws attention and, and perhaps um, makes him a little shady too in people's eyes. They draw attention to the fact that he's the son of Mary. We're not sure who his dad is, but we know he's Mary's son. He's a carpenter. Look at all these things he's doing. How can he do it? Isn't he Jesus from down the block? We know him as hometown Jesus, not this hero, healer, miracle uh, Messiah that he's coming off to be. And similarly, Paul in Corinth, people see Paul as sort of this failure. He's not a super apostle. He's talking about weakness and frailty. If you look at the end of the passage, he's talking about weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. He was shipwrecked, I mean, beaten, imprisoned. I mean, Paul can tell you all these things. That's Paul's resume. He's putting forth uh, his weaknesses in the face of this worldview that says, no, no, we've got to be strong. We've got to get away from this, this pain and suffering. We've got to ascend to a higher plane and get away from it. But God does the exact opposite. By coming to Nazareth and by coming into human flesh and by coming to you and me, this down-to-earth nature of how God deals with us, not us high-flying spiritual types, but God getting earthy and messy and dirty for us. And that makes me think, not to piggyback too much on the, the country greats of the last 30, 40 years, but that supergroup Alabama, the closer you get, the further I fall. You remember that one? You probably don't. It wasn't one of their best, but I do remember that 80s kind of synth uh, beat, you know, that drum beat. I can't do it with my mouth, but go Google it today. The closer you get, the further I fall. But the point is, the closer God gets to us, the further we do fall, the further we feel as if we're not worthy. That's not what they meant by it. They meant falling in love. But we mean by this, uh, the closer God gets, the further we feel like we can't be near him. And that's why Paul's talking about all these things. That's why you and I every week confess our sins. That's why you and I right now probably are thinking about tomorrow morning and what we've got to face, whatever that is. I'm off tomorrow, praise, praise God. But you probably have something tomorrow. But whenever your Monday morning is, it's on your mind. Um, and Sunday night, it's already creeping up your weakness, your frailty. And all this talk about God's holiness and his commandments and his law, it makes you just want to withdraw, doesn't it? It makes me want to do that. I don't feel worthy. And yet, despite all that, Paul is saying, this is who I am. This is my resume. Uh, I'm not all that impressive. You know, here in Manhattan, we feel the pressure of putting our best foot forward, whether it be in a job interview or at a cocktail party. We've got to be impressive. And both Jesus and Paul today in their passage are showing, actually, we're, we're not all that impressive. Not not by our credentials, not by our accomplishments, not by the things that we plan to do, not our five-year plan, but simply that God has called us, even in our weakness and despite our weakness, and especially because of our weakness. So you and I carry that around. And he highlights this most chiefly, and you can relate to this, by having a thorn in your side. We all have thorns. It could be a different thing. It could literally be a thorn. It could be something in your physical body that's, that's plaguing you today, some disease or illness or a mental illness. It could be anything. It could be a relationship that you're thinking about. It could be your boss tomorrow, but you've got a thorn in your side. It could be your spouse. It could be the person you're sitting in the pew with right now. I have no clue for you. I know for me, and I may draw attention to some of those. I'm not the hero, trust me. But we're weak and frail, and we carry these thorns about, which makes us think of our lack of control. God draws near. We want to get away because of our weakness and frailty and sin, and we're out of control because of it all. And St. Paul says he prayed three times fervently for God to remove this thorn. And what does the Lord say unto him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. We do have this lack of control. And I know you feel it. I feel it every day. I've been working a little bit on a hobby of mine, golf. 
And golf's one of those great life lessons where if you're terrible at it like me, you realize that your lack of control just makes things worse when you try and grab on harder to the club. When you grip hard, you're naturally going to slice or fade or whatever it is. You're not going to hit straight. The more you bear down, the worse it gets. And that's true for all of us in anything that we do. The more control you try and exert, the more you try and follow the law and follow the commands and do everything perfectly, have the perfect swing you know, mechanic, you're going to mess it up. I had a situation like this a few years ago um, where I lost complete control, and it was embarrassing, uh, at least in front of my wife. I left a pair of sunglasses in a rental car on a trip we had taken. It's a silly thing to do. It was completely my fault, and I realized it that night. And so the next morning, I got on the phone, and I called the rental car agency. I said, hey, I just wondered if you could maybe check the compartment, see if you could find these sunglasses. They're, They're one of my favorite pairs, and I'd like to find them. Sure thing, Mr. Gardner. We'll be right on it. We'll get back to you this afternoon. I wait around a few hours, of course, no call. I said, well, it's Monday, it's busy. I'm sure they've got a lot going on. I'm gonna wait till tomorrow. So I waited till Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, nothing. And my sense of lack of control was rising. So I said, I've got to grip harder. I've got to do something. So I called back. I said, hey, just check it on those sunglasses. Mr. Gardner, what sunglasses are you talking about? I said, I called Monday. Surely you left a note for your manager or someone on on your shift. Uh, I lost some sunglasses and I just need to find them. So long story short, this was a three-week endeavor of me calling probably 65 times over the course of, you know, 14 days or whatever it is. Finally, uh, emailing corporate, making these threats that I would complain and protest. I mean, silly, silly stuff. And Paige laughed the whole way through, and rightfully so. Eventually, I got the sunglasses, but it was not because I took control of the situation. It's because finally there was a manager that had some mercy on me and let me walk out to the car and grab it after the customer dropped it off. It's amazing that after three customers, uh, they weren't stolen. Anyways, the point being, that's a silly little way of going around and saying, I lost control and you lose control. And our weakness and frailty, we feel like we've got to grip harder and we've got to do something about it. And you can graduate a little bit, you know, maybe sunglasses or your golf game, or it may be missing uh, the sixth train at the right hour. It may be, I mean, just graduate a little bit. Think about what it is. Maybe it's your, your child that's just difficult, that teenager you can't stand right now. Even though you love them and you remember all the good times, right now you just can't stand them. What is it for you? I don't know. You lack control somewhere and probably everywhere if you're being honest with yourself. You're out of control. And despite all that, this thorn in your flesh being out of control, God is still drawing towards you that down-to-earth approach that says, my grace is sufficient for you. Despite your thorn, despite your rental car sunglasses missing, despite the fact that you haven't talked to your sister in 28 years, despite the fact that you're falling apart, my grace is sufficient for you. It's a hard word for you and me when we're suffering, but it's the only word we get. The thorn sometimes is not removed, and yet Jesus took the thorns and put it on his forehead as a crown to save us from ourselves. And while we walk around in this muck and mire of sin and earthiness that we try to get away from every day and every week, we're drawn back to it, that God draws near, and the closer he gets, we don't have to fall away anymore because we realize he's forgiving us and he's loving us and he's given us a place to rest. So not that this sermon is about me, even though it always is because I can't get away from my pride, but one of the thorns in my flesh is, <laughs> this is so silly, but uh, my son won't sleep. And he's, he's so young right now, this is a rule you don't do, but my son won't sleep. And it's become a thorn for him and for me. And every week we just wait and wait and wait. He cries himself to sleep eventually. We have to hold him until he falls asleep. And it's a bad habit. But the point is, this is me and you with God. And not that I'm the hero, not that I'm God here, because it's a thorn in my flesh too. And eventually I have to cry myself to sleep too. But we fight and we claw and we try and get control of the situation, even with God. 
and eventually we wear ourselves out, and God lets us do it, and he says, just take a nap in my lap. I'm right here. Just take a nap. My grace is sufficient for you, even though you can't fall asleep on your own. Fall asleep right here in my arms. So friends, today I'm saying to you, you lack control somewhere. You're fighting and clawing and gnawing and scratching not to go to sleep. But God's just saying, take, take a nap right here. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's where true rest and true love, getting back to the basics of love, is found. It's in God's lap, in His loving arms, where He loves you and forgives you despite your weakness and despite your sin. And in that, I want to say to you today, I'm going to take a nap this afternoon, literally, but in a more spiritual sense, in a more earthly sense, as it were, God come to us. Take a nap with God today. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.